Welcome to season two of the Minority League, a podcast looking at minorities in hockey, sharing their stories and histories, and asking why aren't there more minorities in hockey. I'm Anar Birji. And I'm Minashi Mukherjee. And this is the Minority League. Welcome back and Happy New Year, everyone. We've got a great episode. We interviewed Noel Acton, founder of the Baltimore Banners team, just before the end of the year. Yeah, Happy New Year, Minashi. Um, We hope everyone enjoyed the holidays. What did you get up to? Well, I'm glad we took the break because both of us ended up with holiday colds. Yay. I think we're finally (laughs) feeling better and excited to get started with the podcast again. Um, A bunch of cool things happened in the hockey world last week. First, um, Canada won the World Juniors in a very exciting final round. The U.S. won the bronze, which is pretty cool, too. Yeah, those were fun games to watch. Um, I wish the Penguins could nab some of those players because the team's been on a losing streak, which is stressing me out. Um, But uh, there's a player who's been continuing a goal streak, Alex Ovechkin. He broke Gordie Howe's goal record and passed 801 goals with a hat trick that included an empty netter. Um, and he got to do that at home in Washington, D.C. So there were like massive celebrations at the game. And Ovi and the Capitals are celebrating his record in the community um, in some cool ways. One of those is that Ovi is donating to the American Special Hockey Association to help cover ice costs for 100 special hockey teams in the U.S. Wow, that's terrific. I did not know that. Um, it's pretty generous. <laughs> very generous. Let's switch gears and talk about the Winter Classic, which we both watched. The game held this year at Fenway Park with the Boston Bruins facing the Pittsburgh Penguins did really well for TNT. 1.8 million viewers tuned in on January 2nd to watch. It was a really great game, too. Yeah, I enjoyed watching that as well. I love all of the like cool uniforms and just a bit of pageantry around it and so if you like hockey it was great it wasn't so great as a penguins fan that's part of their losing streak yeah um let's talk about something else the other thing we were really into over the break was the world cup anar was rooting for france and Mbappe, and i was team messi and argentina though all the way um congratulations to those teams on a terrific and exciting final game and congratulations argentina it's amazing. Yeah. And I just want to add congratulations to the host country, Qatar. I um, lived there for a few years and it was exciting to watch people be exposed to Qatari culture and um, all the different things that make Qatar a pretty cool place. Noel Acton is the founder of the Tender Bridge Foundation, a nonprofit that includes the Baltimore Banners hockey team. The Banners is a team for at-risk youth in Baltimore. The team calls it a safe space for kids and mentors to play the game. And Baltimore is a city that's majority Black, just about 40 miles away from Washington, D.C. 61% of the people living in Baltimore City are Black, and most of the players on this team are Black. Acton, however, is not. He's white, and he spent more than two decades overseeing the banners and working to build a community. We asked him how he ended up starting the Tenderbridge Foundation and the team. It sort of happened by accident. Uh, <laughs> I was at a... Uh, like a after Christmas party. And uh, one of the people there said his, his little adopted son, Devon, had a uh, bowling party the next day for 13 kids. And he sort of hinted around that he could use some help. So I said, sure, I'll come over and help. And I got to meet uh, like eight kids from uh, one block on Clover Street on uh, really a disaster section of Baltimore and um, he said well you survived that we have hockey tomorrow I he said I have four kids that I take the hockey I said sure 
but that'll help you. And of course, the all the kids at the bowling party wanted to do. Can we watch? Can we watch? So we said, sure, I'll come pick you up. So I stopped, and picked up. I think eight of them, and uh, they watched hockey. And then, of course, at the end of hockey, it's can we play? Can we play? <laughs> so Ed signed up for. I signed up for. And then, since I knew where they lived, it's all the block in a home situation. Um, you know, I knew they weren't <laughs> excited to get back home. So I would take them out to Inner Harbor, Fort McHenry, Railroad Museum, and it was a stop for food, McDonald's, usually. And so that was became an every Sunday event. It's a very high crime community. It was initially mo- working with mostly with younger kids, you know, eight, ten, twelve. As the kids got older, when they got to be, they aged out at fourteen, and um, one of my, um, well, he was chairman of the board at that time, and I decided we needed to have, you know, that's the time of year, time age group when these kids really need to be supported, not, not dumped on the street. Like, you know, they're past the cute little kids stage where you have lots of people, oh, isn't this nice? And said, thank you, and, you know, and smile and stuff. But, you know, they become the obnoxious kids that nobody wants to deal with. And uh, so we decided to start an older group. How did you personally get into hockey? Like, how, what was... Well, it, it's interesting because I don't skate. That is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been doing, taking kids to hockey for, you know, 20 years or a little bit more now. And um, I, I really like hockey for the kids for a couple couple reasons. One is that anybody can skate. I mean, can be good at hockey. You don't have to be tall to be a basketball player. You don't have to be huge and beefy to be a football player. You can be skinny, you can be fat, you can be short, and they all do equally well. You can be a girl and do equally well. And that's that's a real nice thing because you can engage all the kids in the community and it's not, you know, you only have, if you want to, you know, this is the type for football, this is the type for basketball. You, you can engage all the kids, even the ones that aren't really into sports very much, because often they're not into sports because their bodies don't meet the requirements of the inner city sports. So uh, the other part of why I really like it is it's a sport that is not typical inner city. And um, what that does is it sets these kids apart and they start to see themselves a little differently than everybody else. Can you talk about some of the kids that have gone through the program? Because um, I'm curious now, did did this program sort of change the trajectory for any anyone specifically that you can think of? Like, what are your, some of your success stories? One of the success stories that everybody likes to hear about is uh, Ian Thomas. He's a football player for the... Um, Carolina Panthers, tight end. Both parents died. He was bounced around from various people and uh, a lot of relatives. But we would always go over and pick him up, he and his brother, and take him to hockey. And uh, 
he did he was a good athlete in high school and went to uh play football at uh Nassau Community College in New York and uh they have very strong football program and so he got drafted by Indiana State and did very well there and got drafted by the Panthers and this past fall we had the the day that the Panthers played the Baltimore Ravens um the Baltimore Ravens supplied us with 25 tickets for our kids to come watch the game which I thought was kind of cool that's yeah. very nice I mean yeah. they they also some of them wore um specially made Baltimore banners jerseys right yeah yeah, yeah like, they they uh Ian is is a real supporter uh one of the kids in his his family Antoine, Antoine Green's one of his sons Antoine Green is our current uh board chair and his one of his sons has autism and very functional guy and he plays with the team but uh Ian is very supportive of of autism things but he's also supportive of tender bridge can i ask yeah, you a question the ages the age range for your program uh right now what uh we have kids starting at like seven or eight and there is no top bad age range what happens is they kind of uh, mature you know most most kids have parents our kids do not have parents they you know almost they're all single family uh, you know single moms or grandmoms or somebody like that uh and they're the moms are pretty dysfunctional they have no idea how to be a parent you know and what what we've found is that the the, the banners have become the family that they never had at home and this really struck home when peanut and Abe are two hockey players were shot and killed we had a, a little get together they were shot on, on sunday night and thursday evening we had a get together with the team in one of the park pavilions guys got to get things off their chest and talk to each other but that really impressed brought home to each of them how much of a family and self support where they were to each other and uh, a good example of that is one of our um, players who was our goalie, very good goalie, Antoine. Uh, this year uh, came out as trans and is now not Lily. And uh, the kids, you know, inner city kids dealing with trans or gay people yeah yeah you know not at all not at all uh one of the kids i was working with um have an apprenticeship program and uh he yelled came it's no come over here look at these these pictures of lily at her graduation doesn't she look nice you know and just so accepting of this and we have a tuesday night um it's called bridged independence but it's it's a chance for kids to get together talk and share things and um we were, were talking and she was talking about her transition 
you know, she had depression and a couple suicide attempts and stuff. And one of the big guys on on the way on the other side of this big table <laughs> came around, and gave her a big hug. You know, it's just that kind of feeling, and it's it's really amazing for any inner city kids. I think those are those are the moments where you know you've made a huge impact, uh, you know, impact on the kids. Yeah, that that is really big. I mean, to have that sort of support system, and especially for trans youth or younger people, especially black trans. Yeah, you know, they have really high. You know, if, you know, black uh, kids have enough problems, but being trans is you know really a, a and she's great with um she, she's very bright she went to uh, um university of maryland Baltimore county campus like straight A's. she speaks like four languages and you know really a smart person and as a goalie <laughs> and, and it's incredibly goalie. tough yeah <laughs> um, and uh you know just everybody just loves her We were fascinated by the stories that Noel told us, and we asked to speak to some of the players. We met Naleli Donso the day she officially changed her name. I thought she was so strong and inspiring. Anar, what did you think of that interview? Same. I thought that she's a remarkable person and felt really lucky to talk to her. She seemed really confident and self-assured, and she was also really open with us about being a Black trans woman and about how people on the team related to her when she told them. She also talked about some of the struggles that she's been through, um, and I think that might not be easy, um, but she was pretty open with us. And you'll hear more of that in the next episode, but here's a preview where she talks about what it's like being on the banners. I guess so like I guess I could describe like an average day on in the uh, life of a banner during our practices um you got some people that come a little late some are some are there like right on the dot and they're ready to play um and there's always there's always commotion everyone's all talking and chatting up each other and then there's this like healthy competitive nature that the guys have um and uh and like in you, you hear your fair amount of, uh, you suck, you can't score as many goals as I can, or what you talking about, see me on the ice kind of thing. And it's like, it is funny because like, you know, you, you listen to make sure that they're not going overboard with it, but you hear the laughter and stuff and like, you know, they're like play pushing each other and stuff. So it's like, it's just, it's just funny. It's funny hearing them go at each other sometimes. And I also think that the, the, uh, the presence of the junior banners, we call them the one, the guys that are like the, well, I shouldn't say guys, the people that are like, um, in like 11, 12 or so, like the, 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 the younger ones, you know, I think for my, for my, for my cohort, it's given them a bit of a parental kind of feeling because I think realizing that there's, there's young ones behind them and they're kind of watching everything you do because you're like a superstar to them. And, and you know, they're, if the th- everything you do, they're going to copy you. So it's like, you know, it, it really uh, forces you to think twice about what you're doing before you do it. And then I think one of the most wholesome parts of our organization is that after every practice, we take everyone out for lunch and no one costs and no one, no one spends a dime on, on like, we we cover everything for them the ice time the equipment the the meals we even have 
on Tuesdays, we have what's called a bridge to independence meeting, which is a meeting that we hold for the older guys who are starting to cross that threshold into adulthood. And we, and we help them like, we help them like with, with, you know, ambitions they have or ideas they want to do or like, and I think, I think it's helped. They've, they've come a really long way. I saw that you walk the red carpet at the Capitol snow oh, yeah. this season. Can you, can you talk a bit about that? Like, oh, what, yeah, well, how was that like? Hang like, on for have... just a second. Sure. Hang on for a second. Okay. They just sent me this. Oh, oh that's, that's cool. <laughs> and that, that, that's Lily with me. Oh, that's oh, Lily. Wow. Yeah. Is that Darcy? Yeah, that's Darcy. Nice. So I got hooked up with the star player which pissed me off because everybody wanted his autograph and nobody wanted mine. <laughs> I mean, he, he was, that must like, have been great for Lily to meet Darcy because they're both gold. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. yeah. But actually, that seems very thoughtful. Whoever yeah, yeah. Uh, capital, capitals have been great with us. Yeah, they're really, really supportive of, of us. Our program donated a lot of stuff. Bauer Company this year donated 192 pair of skates, mm -hmm. brand new skates. That's that's fantastic. I mean, I guess my my final question is like, if you have a favorite hockey moment. Yeah, my favorite hockey moment was uh, when we were playing the Baltimore Sentinels, which is a team of Baltimore City Police Department guys, firemen, and first responders, and the game was very close very you know last few seconds of the third period and uh we scored the winning goal it was antoine who was going then it was still antoine <laughs> uh came, they all piled on top of him in this big pile of guys <laughs> they it, you know they were just so excited they didn't know what to do <laughs> And poor Antoine down the bottom of this pile. <laughs> but if if they were, you know, and the neat thing is, you know, they see the, you know, inner city kids and the police department do not get along at all. You know, they were at FTC on the side, spray painted on the side of the cop cars, but. Uh, they, they get along with these guys fine. They just see them as hockey players. And that's one of the neat things about hockey is that you get to see people that you wouldn't normally associate with. And they're just normal people. And, you know, it's a great way for inner city kids to kind of broaden their horizons of who uh, they see as you know, normal people, you know, because they have, you know, huge pre prejudices against, you know, the white community, for instance, you know, there's a lot of not so nice experiences. Nalali also spoke about the first responders game as a meaningful moment, and you'll hear more about that in the next episode. It's very surprising to me in our, that this group brings together unlikely groups in the way that it does. Uh, we've seen it with Coach Henderson and the Fort DuPont Cannons. We've seen it with Alexandria Briggs-Blake and the Tucker Road Ice Ducks. And we've seen it with Devin Buffalo and Wanska Athletics. 
When we first started this podcast, I wasn't expecting so many beautiful stories of community. I'm, I'm actually not sure what I was expecting, but I think the sense of belonging is something that these groups herald so nicely. Yeah, I'm not sure what I was expecting either, but I've learned so much about how important these efforts are. And it's incredible to see the lengths that these groups go to in order to build hockey communities. For example, Devon Buffalo has been making trips to rinks and hockey clubs in rural Canada. It's really nice to see him coaching, especially in Indigenous communities. A lot of these people that you mentioned have also been recognized for their work and the community that they build. Noel won the um, NHL's Willie O'Ree Community Service just last year in 2022. The award honors someone who has had positive impact on their community, culture, or society through hockey. And we asked him what his reaction to getting the award was. Uh, I, I really liked it because I knew we would get a lot of attention. And it, it sort of turned out exactly as I expected, that we'd get a lot of new interest. This past year, we've gotten some just absolutely fantastic new volunteers. Do you find that you have a little more partnership now with the NHL? Like, is the league helping you guys out at all or any of the associations uh, affiliated? Yeah, it's more, yeah, the league is um, very supportive of our program. They they're, would like to have a program like ours in every NHL city. One, one of the things I've done is made a little blueprint of what makes our program successful. And the thing is, we reach kids that nobody else can reach because one of the things we do, this, this is probably important, should be included somewhere, is that uh, we stop at the houses and pick the kids up. The coach, coaches, coach mentors stop at the houses and pick the kids up, which works great for two points. The coaches get to see where the kids live in the situation they live in. And it really helps them understand their, when they are misbehaving, you know. Uh, and then when they're driving in the car, they get to do a little one-on-one -on -one chit chat and start to build a relationship. And that's, that's, that's the thing that really hooks the coaches. That, that is nice to hear because I mean, it, it sounds yeah. like it's a great yeah. program for the coaches too. Yeah. Oh, the other thing that uh, we haven't touched on that you might be interested in is uh, I have had kids living with me at my house for a long, long time with different kids off and on. A lot of times they become homeless and, you know, mom says, can you stay for a couple of weeks? Or, and they often used to come out and stay over the weekends. So they're used to staying here and then come. And Daryl, one of the one of my now now considered sons, is uh, away in college. Matter of fact, I'm going to pick him up from college tomorrow. Uh, but he was just entering a high school, and he'd been homeless off and on a lot, and bounced around from house to house, and. Uh, his mom called me and said, can Daryl stay with you for a couple of weeks till I get a new house? I said, oh, of course, because Daryl would come out. It's an easy to, kid to work with. And uh, three years later, she got a new house. <laughs> and Daryl says, I'm not moving. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> and wow. Daryl is just an absolutely amazing kid. Um, when he was, I think, eight or nine, his 
dad got shot and killed. He had just come home from jail and about a month and a half later. And Daryl was just starting to build a, a relationship with him. And then he, his dad got shot and killed over the west side. And and then, uh, let's see, last year, around, I think it's end of July. No, it was August, August. Uh, he was at his mother's house. She has bipolar and was depressed and was attempting suicide with a gun. And Daryl tried to take it away from her. And uh, he got shot in the face. Oh Bullet God. went in here and came out right behind his, above his ear. And uh, no brain damage, none whatsoever. And that was right before he was getting ready to go off to college for football practice, early football practice. So he missed, uh, I think, oh, two weeks of early football practice, went off to college. Doctors wouldn't let him do contact but he went to all the practices and then um that was the year that peanut got shot who was the other one one of the other boys that was living with me peanut had been living with me for three or four years and they were roommates so they were daryl was you know pretty much devastated with that and stuck with college and kept going kept you know no matter what happens to him? He keeps going. That is just a really amazing kid. Um, I mean, that is so much to happen to one person, especially. Yeah. Well, that isn't half of what happened to him. You should... <laughs> he had one of his little younger brothers, uh, baby, six month old, died. Who knows? You know, mom said, "I don't know what happened." Oh God. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it sounds like you have such a generous heart to welcome all these. Um, well, these kids you, you can't help but with it, you know. You, you know, the thing of it is, you know, they seem like you know rough and tumble inner city kids, you know, tough guys, which is the image they all have to present. And when you realize all the shit they've been through you understand why they behave the way they are. I really enjoyed hearing Noel Acton's thoughts on the team and the work that he's put into it. It is truly a commitment of time, money, and heart to impact kids in this way. It's been an honor to meet some of these individuals who have created these communities and connections, which ultimately change the trajectory of people's lives. Yeah, I think we all need people like Noel or Alexandria Briggs-Blake or Devin Buffalo in our lives, like whether it's a parent or a coach or some other sort of mentor. And I've spent a bit of time in Baltimore for work covering some of the neighborhoods that Noel talked about. And one thing that I really like about his work is that he's highlighting what great communities are already there, but he's also building new ones. And um, it takes a lot to consistently show up in kids' lives and to help them find good mentors. And I really admire the work that he has done for the past two decades. Um, we heard a bit from Nilele Donso, one of the team's success stories, and we're going to hear from her in our next episode. Thanks for spending an entire hockey period with us. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to rate us wherever you listen. Subscribe to the Minority League podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. 
visit us on the minorityleague.com and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram at TMLpod. This episode was edited by Joe Alvaro and produced by Anar Virji and Manashi Mukherjee. 